ready for a word. I'm ready for God to speak. Genesis chapter 12 is our text. Genesis chapter 12. I'll read verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 12. And you can catch up. We're also going to be talking about Hebrews chapter 11. So if you're a Bible scholar, you want to write down a concurring passage that we're going to take a parallel look at. It is Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Title of our message uh, this morning is, Are We There Yet? Are we there yet? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are we there yet? Look at somebody around you. Look at somebody else. Look at somebody behind you. Say, neighbor, are we there yet? Is anyone in here a fan of long drives? Anyone in here a fan of long drives? You like taking long drives? They're like, I like the long drive. I don't like the gas that it burns when I take the long drive. But anybody a fan of road trips in here? Yeah, you know, I love long drives because it's a place where I can get a lot of my thinking done. I can process some things. I can, I can think through some of the more complex things. I can talk to myself and nobody's going to look at me crazy, you know. You talk to yourself sometimes. You should. You should tell yourself who you are in Christ, you know. And so I talk to myself. I'll pray. I'll process. I'll practice. I'll think through these things. But, you know, as I think about road trips, there are some things that are road trip essentials, right? You have to have these things in order for it to be a road trip. Anybody have a list of road trip essentials, things you have to have on a long drive? Oh, okay, so for me, the first gas station I pass, it's a ritual. First gas station I pass, no matter where I'm going, I have to stop and get a pack. And I know you're going to look at me like, like this is not healthy. But I have to stop and get a pack of Sour Patch Kids, right? And it just, it just wakes me up. I just have to get this large pack of Sour Patch Kids or Lifesavers. So I have to have some, some sort of personal fuel, right? It's going to wake me up, going to give me that jolt of sugar. I also have to have a Powerade and a water. I have to have both of them just in case, depending on how the drive is going, right? If I don't need to stop, then I don't need to drink that water. Don't need to drink that gallon of water <laughs> on the road, okay? I'm not trying to make three stops. I also need to have a pillow. Not for my head, but for my back, okay? I need to make sure I have some back support. Now, if I'm the passenger, that pillow's for my head. I'm going to lay down and take a nap if I trust the person who's driving. That's the key, if I trust the person who's driving. I got to have a, a pair of Bluetooth headphones, okay? Because if I'm traveling with some people, or especially the kids, they're going to go to sleep at a certain point. I want the music to keep going, right? I want the podcast, the audio books to keep going. And, of course, I have to have my phone. You know, any road trip, it's not a road trip if you don't have your cell phone, right? If you don't have chargers, if you don't have maps, you know nobody reads a physical map nowadays. you got to have the GPS just in case. These are my road trip essentials. But how many of you know that road trips are different when there are other people in the car with you? You want to test a relationship? Go on a road trip with somebody. You want to see how tight-knit your family is? Say, hey, we're going to go to Disney. Hey, we're going to go to Orlando. Hey, we're going to go to Atlanta. Just put them in the car for five hours. That's it. Just five hours. You'll find out a lot of stuff about the people in your family. Test the validity of a relationship. See how strong it is. Go on a road trip with somebody. What, what are the things you're going to say on a road trip? You're driving too fast. Slow down. Slow down a little bit. Doing too much. 
or you're driving too slow. Come on, pick it up. Speed up. I got this app that tells me when the state troopers are going to be around. They're not around yet. Go ahead. You can go 15 over the speed limit. Some of y'all go 20 over, okay? Y'all want to repent. You want to confess. You going 90 and a 70. I don't like that music. It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. Your breath stink. I'm serious. You want to test a validity relationship. Once you get in the car for about six, seven hours, all your filters go down. You're like, I'm trying to get to my destination. I'm so sick and tired of being in this car with these people. But the most common question, number one question, every passenger asks when you're on a road trip, you know what it is. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Depending on the inflection of the question, it could say some things without saying some things. Are we there yet? You should have taken the route that I told you to take. I told you to take the back roads. Are, are we there yet? You, you already denied me stopping twice. I'm hungry. I want to get something to eat. Are we there yet? I'm in a rush. I'm in a hurry. I need to reach my destination. And most of us don't realize it, but this question is the great question of life. This question is a great question of our existence. This question shapes more of our lives than what we think. Are we there yet? You realize in your life, there are people who are asking you this question every time they ask for an update about what you're doing. Are you there yet? Have you arrived? Have you achieved everything that you said you were going to achieve? Have you accomplished all those goals, those dreams that you said God had given to you? Are you there yet? In our quiet, private moments, as we're going through life, some of us, because we're, we're so young, we have our entire lives ahead of us. We have all the world that we could conquer and experience and achieve. We're asking this question. We're impatient. Are we there yet? Others of us, we feel like life has passed us by. And so we think now, I only have a few more years. I only have another decade. I, I'm on a clock here. I've got to figure out, am I going to reach everything before I have to cross over to the other side? Are we there yet? For those of us who are in the prime of life, we're supposed to be accomplishing everything. And we see our friends, we see our family, we see our coworkers, and they're outpacing us. They're moving quicker than we are. Are we there yet? This is the great question of life. We're always thinking of what's next. And these questions tend to determine how we view success. They tend to determine how we view achievement. They tend to determine how we view failure. How do you gauge that a person is successful? Well, by their accomplishments, of course. What do they have to show for themselves? Did they buy that house? Well, they've arrived. They're successful. Why? Because they achieved something. They're there yet. How do you know someone is successful? Is it because they have that dream car? Oh, they've achieved something. They've arrived at their location. How do you know someone has achieved something, has accomplished, and has experienced all the success that they wanted to? It's because they own their own business. Oh, they're there. These people, they've made it, right? Can I help you with something today, church? Arrivals are overrated. Arrivals are overrated. I know you think there is where you should be, but once you get there, you have to maintain the there. Once you get there, you have a whole bunch of other problems, right? What, what, what was the song? More money, more problems, right? Just because I have millions 
Just because I have status, just because I have a claim, just because I got the promotion, just because I got the house, just because I got the car, just because I've achieved, it doesn't really mean that I'm happy. And I want to I want to help you out here because you're going to go into 2020 with all these great grand aspirations and you're going to be looking up, writing on the vision board and writing out your resolutions and you're going to shoot for the moon. You're going to shoot for the highest peak that you can possibly go at. I just want to remind you, arrivals are overrated, church. See, we interpret life through destinations because we suffer from what I call, watch this, the promised land prism. We look at life through the promised land prism. What is this? I'll be unpacking this more in 2020 because I think it, it, it bogs people down with doubt. It bogs people down with fear. It bogs people down with this mentality that they're not good enough. It's the idea that if I haven't reached my promised land, I'm no good. I haven't made it to the promised land yet. So something must be wrong with me. And we look at life as though we're the children of Israel and we make that the motif for all of our lives. We do this with Paul too, right? Paul says something, we're like, well, if Paul did it, I can do it. Well, Paul was on a specific journey. Paul was going through a specific series of events. Paul had to fulfill a specific mission. And just because you're not at the promised land doesn't mean you're not at God's purpose for your life. Just because you haven't reached whatever you think is there it doesn't mean you're useless, church. Can I take the weight off of somebody? Some of you came in with some crushing doubt, with some crushing disappointments, feeling as though you're not worthy, feeling as though you're not good enough. Can I help you out? Just because you haven't arrived, it doesn't mean you're worthless. The arrival isn't what you think it is. This past week, my wife and I, we had the chance to sit down and view the new Kevin Hart documentary. Anybody had a chance to watch this yet? It's on Netflix. I'm not allowed to say the name of this documentary, okay? Look it up and you'll see why. Uh, this is a six-part documentary that basically goes through Kevin Hart's life, the comedian, the actor, the philanthropist, the producer, the person who is one of the most famous people in the world. And you know, at first, I was sitting back, I was saying, why is Kevin Hart Basically, a 40-year-old man in the prime of his career, why are they doing the documentary on him? He ain't even really, he, he, you know, you do documentaries on the people who have passed their prime, right? You do documentaries as memoirs, but today, we're in such a, a, an obsessed culture. And so I'm like, why is Kevin Hart doing a documentary? And then I started watching it, and then I realized why. Kevin Hart is one of the hardest working people in Hollywood. I was absolutely blown away by his work ethic. I realize now why he was so successful. You know, he said it, he's talked about it, but then when you see his daily schedule, y'all, him saying, oh yeah, sometimes I only get two, three hours of sleep. Yeah, you know, sometimes I gotta ask him to get me coffee. He's falling asleep mid-interview, right? He's taking shots of espresso. He's trying to keep himself up. And they're like, you know what? Why are you doing all this? You've made it. You've achieved. He said, I can't be broke. I can't be broke. And I was like, hang on one second. So I did a little Google search. I said, how much is Kevin Hart worth? How much is he worth? You know, because I'm just curious, right? When someone says they're about to go broke, that looks a little different for me than it does for Kevin Hart, right? Broke is relative, right? I'm just, you know, some of these people, they file bankruptcy. They're not actually broke, right? And so I'm just looking there. I'm like, how much is he worth? You know he's worth $200 million? 
million. Not thousand, not hundred. Million. I can't be broke. I can't be broke. I can't be broke. See, Kevin Hart is realizing that on the road to becoming a billionaire mogul, that's his there. He has to keep his hunger and his energy. And part of that is good because we should always be improving and developing and working hard. But another part of that is a weight that can crush us, church. I have to be there. 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 Is that what God is calling us to? Is God calling us to push ourselves to the limit, to burn the candle at both ends, to grind, to hustle, to do everything we possibly can do to the detriment of our bodies, our souls, and our families? Is that what God is calling us to do? You see, Kevin Hart, he was working real hard. He said, it's for my family. And then what happened? He got caught doing something that was against his family. And you know what happened? He said, I just got this opportunity to go to Vegas, and I reached out to my boys to see if they could accompany me on a last-minute trip, and they couldn't make it happen. But I had to be there. Why did you have to be there? Can't be broke, can't be broke, can't be broke. God is calling for us to take a step back and asking us the question, have I really called you to obsess about your arrival? Your journey is more important than your destination, church. Your journey is more important than your destination. I know what you think. I know you think that once you turn the key into the house, that it will all be worth it. And it will be. It'll be great. But at the end of the day, if you have sacrificed your family, if you have sacrificed your body, if you have sacrificed your relationship with Jesus, it is not worth it. What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his... got to shift church we have to shift our mindset and this is the exact same shift that Abram went on Abram went through a shift and these are the shifts that we're going to have to go through if we're really going to walk through what God has for us just three shifts and before we get to that I want to show you something perception versus reality put that uh put that image up perception versus reality is there are two easy lanes right There's success, and then there's failure over here. Don't fail, and you'll make it to the finish line. Yay! Woo, it's that simple. The reality, though, is I got to go through failure after failure after detour after failure after failure after failure, and then I keep going and walking in victory, but there's no finish line. The journey is more important than the destination, church. And many of us have made a silent pact with ourselves. I'm not going to be happy until I make it. Then I'll be happy. No, I need joy for my journey right now. I want to enjoy life right now. I don't want to be saddled with these expectations right now. Okay, you with me? Okay. Three shifts we need to make. First shift, everybody say first. We need to go from familiarity to new territory. Write this down. From familiarity to new territory. From familiarity to new territory. One more time. From familiarity to new territory. 
Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Abraham was drawn out of Ur. He was drawn out of the familiar place, specifically away from his country, his people, his father's household, to an undetermined, undisclosed location. He was drawn out of all the things that he would have known throughout his entire life. He was drawn out of a place of comfort. He was drawn out of a place of familiarity. He was drawn out from a place of access, from a place of network, from a place of connections, from a place of elevation, from a a place of familiarity. You know, familiarity can keep you in some places that will actually keep you bound comfortably bound what do I say about a frog when you put it in a pan oh just raise it just one degree one degree just keep raising it just one degree and eventually it'll be consumed by boiling water it'll get so comfortable in its surroundings and the question that I have for us today church is are we too familiar are you too familiar with your surroundings are you too familiar with your place of comfort Are you too familiar with ease? Are you too familiar with the plush life that God has given you to actually get up and recognize that God is speaking to me? You see, there's something about desperation, church. There's something about when you're desperate, you start looking around and desiring the things that God has for you. When you're desperate, you start listening for God in different ways. When you're desperate, you start looking around and seeing God's signs every place that he puts them. When you're desperate, you say, I got to get out of my familiar place because the familiar place will keep me bound. Are you too familiar, church? You know, the familiar place, it doesn't have to be a location. It doesn't have to be a physical place. It can be a mindset. Why y'all do that? Well, you know, that's, that's how we've always done. Huh? That's it? So the only metric for what's successful is how we've, all, we've always done it like that. I mean, yeah, you know, I know, I know we should probably improve it. Yeah, it should be, we should get better at it. But, you know, let's just, we'll ease into it. Get up and go. Go to new territory, church. Get up and go. You know, the familiar place is not just location, not just perspective. It's also relationships, too. This is one of my least favorite phrases. Well, you know, that's how they are. So functionally, what we've done is we've given a dysfunctional person or group power over us by sitting in their dysfunction and then giving them the authority to accost us and to keep other people and us bound. Are you kidding me? The devil is a liar. Well, you know that's how they are. We need to start saying 2020. If someone says that to you, oh, that's how they were? Oh, they're not going to be in my life and that way anymore. One of us is going to make an adjustment. Either you're going to adjust to where God has me, or I'm going to take a step back and say, we need some distance. We need some space. Get out of your familiar relationships. And we allow people to functionally control us. You know, that's witchcraft. That's manipulation. We're letting people control us just because we have a relationship with them. 
your relationship with me does not give you currency to buy me as a slave. Familiar place. Get out of your familiar place. Too much. I'm sorry. Get out of your familiar place. To a land which I will show you. To a land that is undetermined and undisclosed. The journey is more important than the destination. Do you realize that some of us, what we need to do is just take a step and let God worry about what we landed on. Some of us, we need to just take a step and say, if it's you, God, I'm going to move. I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make rational idea. It doesn't make any rational sense to my mind. But if you call me, then that means you have something waiting for me when I put my foot down. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? What would keep you familiar? What keeps us familiar in our places of comfort? Maybe it's fear, church. Can fear keep you familiar? Absolutely. Someone asked, what's on the other side of the thing you fear? This was a non-Christian person. He asked this question, what's on the other side of fear? Nothing that you think lies on the other side of the thing that you're afraid of. Nothing. Just because you are afraid does not mean that what you are afraid of lies on the other side of your fear. This is a non-Christian person, a non-biblical person who had enough faith to say, whatever I'm scared of, whatever I projected in my mind, whatever somebody told about me, that's what they said. That's not what I have to believe. How much more so for the people of God to take a step out and say, we have nothing to be afraid of. What about comparison? Comparison can keep you in a familiar place, right? What they going to think? We, we at the same level. If I shift things, now it's going to be looking like I took a step back. Are you running your race or theirs? You realize God is not going to say, he's not going to accept at the end of days when you stand before him. Hey, I know what I was supposed to do, but this person and that person, they were such heavy influences. He's going to look at you and be like, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about what I told you. What about distrust? What about disappointment? What about obstacles? Why are we so familiar? And the reality is, the reason why we're so familiar is the familiar, listen, doesn't require any faith. It don't require no faith for you to do the same thing you've always done. You can put it on autopilot. Is Michael Archie here? Michael, come up here real quick. Let me illustrate it this way. It doesn't require any faith. Come on quick, brother. Come on. Don't fall, but step out on faith. Come on. Jump up here. This is Michael Archie. This is, I mean, an excellent football player. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it with my own eyes. An excellent football player. Michael, run around me in a circle. Run around me in a circle. You may want to slow down because you're going to be running for a while. <laughs> this is how they pick the great football players, right? Who can run around in a circle real well. Oh, yeah, you're killing it. You're the best circle runner I've ever seen. 
Is that what they do? They don't go and get the two-milers to go out and run, play running back and fullback? Why? Stop. Because I want you now, I want you to get around me. I want you to give me some moves. I want you to start over there and give me some moves. Give me some moves. Come on. You see, Michael, come on, keep going, keep going. See, Michael is a great football player because he has agility to evade obstacles. You okay? <laughs> but the only reason he has agility to evade obstacles is because he's worked on getting around the obstacles, which means he had to put himself in an unfamiliar environment in order to develop the skills. And this is what we want. Run around me in a circle. Run around me in a circle. This is what we want. That's what we want. That's what we want. Yes, God. I surrender. I surrender in this circle, God. I surrender to you in my normal. I surrender to you in my familiar. It's my usual. I'm good. And God is saying, no, no, no. I'm not trying to keep you in this place because this is not faith. This is routine. Keep going. This is routine. It's routine. And some of us have such a routine that we put God on autopilot. We don't hear from him anymore, but we do the same thing we've always done. We're not hearing from him anymore, but we praise the same way we've always prayed. Okay, God, you're going to show up, right? He's like, I done been told you to step out and do what I told you to do, but you're not willing to develop the muscles in the new territory that I have for you. Are you hearing me, church? You won't develop the faith that's necessary for your next if you stay in your familiar. Give it up for Michael. Thank you, Michael. Let's move on. Let's move on. I'm taking too long on this. But I feel this. I feel like somebody needs to get free today. Number two, first from familiarity to new territory. Number two, from individuality to legacy. From individuality to legacy. Everybody say legacy. Genesis 12, verse 2, the first part, the A side of that verse. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. This is God speaking to Abram. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, you're not going to understand what God is shooting at, what God is subliminally attacking, until you read Genesis chapter 11. You read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Listen, very familiar passage. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people move eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and, and tar for mortar. Verse 4, very key. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. With the tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may, listen, make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Do you see what a familiar spirit breeds? It breeds a sense of individualism. Individualism is not just one individual. Individualism is a spirit. Nations, empires, and cities have been built off the idea of the individual. The idea that we should all look alike and think alike and be alike and have the same amount of money and do the same amounts of things. We should all be one, uniform together. Not unity, uniformity. 
And that's what individualism breeds. It breeds this mentality that, oh, we've got it ourselves. You know, one of the most dangerous things you can do, church, is reminisce about your glory days as though you didn't have help. Well, you know, I used to, I used to be out there, you know what I'm saying? I used to be doing it. Oh, so it was just you, nobody else. See, there's a difference between drawing from tradition and roots and drawing from individualism. That's two different things. Tradition is about the we. It's about the collective. It's about what God has done through us. Individualism is about you. Well, you know, you remember when I was out there, bro. You know, I, you know, I was doing this. I was doing that. I'm getting to that age, so that's why I'm saying that, okay? Getting to that space. They invited me to the alumni game. I had to take a hard look at that invitation. I was like, can I still play basketball? Can I still do it and not embarrass myself again, you know, against 100 people? So I was looking, and I said, let me not overestimate what I used to be capable of. Don't overestimate what you used to be capable of because you are not the sole reason you're at this place right now. One of the most toxic things we can believe, church, is that we got to the place where we are with no help. I stood on my own two feet. I did it myself. And so now what you think is that now you don't need the help of God. Now you don't need the help of the community. Now you don't need your brother or your sister because it was all you. You did it, didn't you? Let us make a name for ourselves. So thirsty to be recognized. So parched for attention. So necessary to stroke their ego that they said, we're not even going to acknowledge God. We're going to do it ourselves. And stay in our familiar place. Can I help you with some church? What I can do for myself is different from what God can do through me. That's different. If it's in my own strength and power, I'll go far, but I'll fail. Because I got to maintain the strength to keep the thing that I built on my own. But if God is doing something in me, if God said he's going to make me great, if God said he's going to bless me, now I don't have to maintain the blessing. It's on his tab. He's the one that's going to take care of it. And if he's the one that's going to take care of it, I don't have to maintain it. I don't have to strive. I don't have to work. And I can trust that God's going to take care of it. Do you trust that God's going to take care of it, church? Do you trust that God has got it worked out? Don't say it quickly. Don't say it easily because some of us need to do a hard inventory of our faith. Do we have the faith and the trust in God to believe that he's going to make something great through us? That means you got to have a generational vision for your life. If your resolutions are only about you, those are weak resolutions. Your resolution should, should be about your neighbor, should be about your family, should be about your children, should be about your spouse, should be about your grandparents, should be about your parents. It's the we, not the me. It's the we. Look at somebody around you say, it's the we. One of the things I love about Kevin Hart, I have to say this, is in the documentary, it, it takes a really good look at his posse, his clique. They're called the Plastic cup boys, yes, ooh Jesus, because they need prayer. They need prayer. We need to lay hands on them. But it's a really good principle, right? 
It's so crazy to me that the world, people within the culture, have a better concept of brotherhood and friendship than many in the church. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. These boys are people that Kev put on. He brought his whole team with him. This guy up here to the left with the cap on, with the hat on, this guy was homeless when he called Kevin. Homeless, living out of his car. And he didn't want anybody to know. He was around, he was walking around, he was with the group. He was acting as though everything was cool, but then some guys saw him walking back to his car, getting in, and they didn't see him getting out. They said, oh, no, 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 we're going to let Kev know what's up. Kev calls him, says, hey, are you homeless? I hear you going through a rough time. He said, nah, man. He said, listen, nobody who's in my circle is going to struggle as though they didn't have when I have something to give you. You coming on tour with me. You're going to be my host. Can you do that? And he said, yes. Now... He is an award-winning comedy writer. He hosts every one of Kevin's tours. He just wrote the screenplay for Kevin's latest movie. He put on the people around him because he said, it's one thing if I make it, but if nobody in my clique makes it, if nobody who I know makes it, what good is it for me to be around and be the top dog if I'm not helping somebody and if I'm not building a legacy? Are you seeing what I'm saying, church? In 2020, we got to get out of the scarcity mentality that says it's only a few spots, and so I need to protect myself from the people I could help up to get where I'm at. We need to look around and say, who can I help? Who can I build up? Who can I sow into? And nobody knew what was going on. A lot of those people didn't know that he was helping him in this way. But he said it doesn't matter about the recognition. It matters that you need to be where I am. What a transformative mentality. You need to be where I am, neighbor. I know I may not have achieved everything, but if you're at a place where you're not at the place you want to be and I've got a resource to give you, I'm going to help build you up. I'm going to help pick you up. I'm going to help uplift your name. I'm going to help uplift your psyche. I'm going to affirm your potential. I'm going to pour into your gift. And maybe our churches would look different, our communities would look different if they didn't see a whole bunch of lone rangers in the community. Maybe if we moved in plurality, maybe if we moved in unity and on one accord, maybe the community would take note and say, hold up, something's going on over there. The spirit of God is on them. What does John 17 say? Jesus prayed, I pray, Lord, that they would be one. Not uniformity, unity. That they would be one together, even as we, the Trinity, are one. And then the world will know. Then the world will take notice. Legacy. Everybody say legacy. Hebrews 11, verse 9 is so powerful. It says, by faith, Abram went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Watch this. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. They're heirs of the same promise. 2020 will not be the year you desire it to be if you don't take a hard look at your associations. Young people, you want to know the thing that will take your life? As high as it can possibly go, or as low as it can possibly go, it's your associations. It's your relationships. It's your circle. 
It's your friendships. And when you have the wrong circle, the wrong relationships, the wrong forces in your group, what will end up happening is they won't be on the same wavelength with the same mentality to go toward legacy. They'll become parasites. And they'll take without giving and take without giving and take without giving. And you think that they're just so enamored and infatuated with you when really they're crippling you. They're draining you. You're too important to have bad friends, young people. You're too important to have lazy friends. You're too important to have friends who don't want to improve themselves. You're too important to have people around you who are just taken and not given. That was for y'all, parents. You're welcome. I'll take your $20 afterwards. Last point. Not just from individuality to legacy, but finally, from adversity to victory. From adversity to victory. Let me say this before I get into the text. I want you to hear me and hear me well. Church, we are supposed to win. You didn't hear me. Church, we are supposed to win. Church, we are supposed to win. Not barely skate by. Not stumble over the finish line. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> Made it. We are supposed to win. I was listening to something this morning after last night. I'm so sorry to the Buckeyes fans. I'm so sorry. But I have to bring this up. I really am. It was a really close game. And I was listening to Clemson's coach, Dabo Swinney. And he said something so fascinating. He said, I told my guys, I had no doubt at any point in time we were going to win that game. And no doubt. We were going to win. He said, I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to take place. I didn't know the play that was going to be made, but I knew we were going to win. And it shook me because I'm not a Clemson fan. Quite the opposite. But when someone believes that convincingly that they are going to win, and then they go out and do it, then I listened to another interview where he looked at the person who made the game-winning interception. He said, I told him before he went out on the, on the last drive, I said, you're going to make the interception that wins the game. He had an expectation that this person he was training up and coaching was going to execute according to what was going to help them win. I said, how powerful is it that this coach and this team expects to win? Nobody wins at that level by accident. Whoa, we won. Oh, man, we won a national championship. Wasn't expecting that. Do you realize that the national champions come from the same pool of eight to ten teams every single year? Southern Idaho is not winning the national championship. Now, part of the reason why they don't have resources to win, but another part of the reason is they don't expect to win. What's your expectation level, church? I'm, I'm just trying to get a couple of games. Ah, you know, I'm all right. I'm okay. You, you know that commercial? Okay is not enough? Person doing your surgery? I'm, I mean, you know. 
it's some better dudes out here, you know. It's some worse dudes out here. I mean, you know, I, I, I'll get you through, though. Am I going to die for I'll bring you back. It's okay. I'll bring you back. And, you know, you're coming in with low expectations. You don't expect to win. But you serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Church, we're supposed to win. We're not supposed to be substandard. We're not supposed to be subpar. We're not supposed to be mediocre. We're not supposed to be barely there. Enough with the low expectations. If we in it, God's going to give us the ability to conquer it. If a mountain comes up, we're going to pray, it's going to move. If someone tells us there's an obstacle, we're going to step over it because that's who we are. Church, we supposed to win. Change your expectation. Change your pursuit. Change your mentality. Change your belief. We're going to start expecting God to do crazy things. We're going to start expecting God to move mountains. And everybody else is going to be shocked. Well, how? How did that happen? As, you know, because as soon as you make it, as soon as you win, a whole bunch of people show up to commentate what they weren't there to see. How did you, but you was just over there and you did all this. And now you here. Wow. Did it really happen though? I don't know. Because you were struggling with this and you did that. And I remember when you was over here and then I saw you doing this. You remember back when you was growing up? I remember you when you was growing up. Yeah, I don't know how you made it over here, but I guess I'm happy for you. I expect to be here. I was supposed to be here. God told me I was going to conquer it. God told me I was going to be an overcomer. God told me I was going to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God told me that I was going to be more than a conqueror. God told me. That's why I'm here. I expected to be here. It's enough of the low expectations, church. Step into a new work and be like, oh, no, what's anybody going to think? I'm the new person. I'm the new guy. Walk in, tiptoeing on eggshells. Hi, hi. No, walking like you own the place. I'm supposed to be here. Oh, you're the, you're the, new, you're the new employee. No, I'm the new associate. That's who I am. I'm the new associate. Wait, wait, hold on, well, I, but, but uh, uh, really, I mean, okay, well, you know, it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like that, you're going to have to get around the boss. No, no, I'm going to have a great relationship with the boss. I'm good. Well, I don't really know if you can change things. I mean, have some low expectations, you know, temper, temper your standards, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be hard, you know, I've been here for 13 years, and... Uh, you know, we all done stayed in the same spot pretty much, you know. Me and me and so and so and so and so we got the same Christmas party every year and fall asleep on the couch and drink eggnog and you're gonna be here for a while, but that's okay. It'll be a good start. What? No, no, no. I I, I intend to I intend to progress. 
I intend to progress. You gonna get into that college? I mean, ain't nobody black got into that college in about 10 years. You know, Pensacola people, they don't go to that place. You know, No, 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 I'm gonna get a scholarship. I'm gonna go for my masters. I'm gonna go for my PhD. I'm gonna be debt free. I'm gonna own, not rent. I'm gonna buy, not be the person who rents. And then people are going to be so shocked. Oh, you the owner? You've been there, right? <laughs> You've been there, right? Somebody walks past you. It's like, oh, oh, wait, I, I'm, I'm actually, I own, I own this. Is it for you? No, it's because God has equipped you with everything that you need to win, church. Do not think that you need anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. If you are facing an obstacle today, I want you to hear me and hear me well. God has given you everything that you need to conquer, to overcome, to be a, a succeeder, to do everything that he has called you to do. Expect to win. This is why the text says this. The B side of the text, I will make your name great, Genesis 12, verse 2, and you will be a blessing. And that shifts the mindset here. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you, passive recipient. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing, active participator. Passive recipient, active participator. Why did Abram walk in victory? Why did Abram when? Why did Abram succeed? Why did Abram achieve and accomplish? Because he obeyed. He obeyed. That's it. He was obedient. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was obedient and did what God told him to do. And so God moved. He was obedient, so he made him great. He was obedient, so his descendants are as the sand on the seashore. He was obedient. He expected. He believed, and his entire life changed. Wonder why you haven't won yet? Not all of us. Some of us, the reason we haven't won yet is because we have not obeyed. Some of us need to take 2019's resolutions put them back on the wall, and do all the things God told us to do. I want something new and fresh. He's like, but you ain't done the old stuff. It's the old word that I gave you in 2018. You still need to do that. The extent to which you will win is the extent to which you obey. Obey the word of the Lord. Do what God has told you to do. Are we there yet? We there yet? Can I help you? There is not a location. It's a personification. There is not a destination. It's a person. It's Jesus. We're there in his presence. So what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with the vision of new dimensions for 2020? I was like, God, I want it to rhyme. I'm just messing. I'm messing with it. <laughs> I've been waiting to do that. 
I want it to be elaborate. Explode. Make it something that's going to set people on fire. Do amazing things. Heal the sick, raise it, do it all. And God is like, well, if you want to do that, it takes a whole church. Takes a whole church. There is powerful symmetry because the whole church is in here today. From youngest to oldest. Not every single member, but youngest to oldest, right? Your children's church, no youth. The whole of the generations, the six generations represented within this church is here today. Oh, so what you're saying, God, is you want everybody to be on board. I got you. That makes a lot of sense. He said, no, no, no. It's a double entendre. I need the whole church and a whole church. A whole church. A complete church. A healthy church. A competent church. A wise church. A faithful church. A committed church, a focused church, a driven church, not just the whole church, but a whole church. And that's the theme, whole church 2020. Whole church. I can't tell you where the arrival point is. I can tell you that arrivals are overrated. And I can tell you that as long as we're on the journey, we're going there healthy. Where are you going? Not quite sure. Healthy, though. And as we walk in health, God's going to lead us to our abundance. You can't receive the abundance of God if you're not healthy enough to handle it. A lot of us are writing blessing checks that our soul can't cash. Do it big, God. He's like, if I gave you any more, you would fumble and fail because you are not healthy. I want it all, God. If I gave it all to you, it would crush you under the weight of it because your legs aren't strong enough to lift it. No, I don't want to be big for the sake of big. I don't want to be great for the sake of great. I want to be healthy and faithful. I want God to look at me and say, well done, thou good and big. Wait, what? That's what he said. Well done, good and faithful servant. What does this look like? Go to the next slide. Well, there's a scripture, and this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it sums it up. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. King James Version says, sanctify you wholly, and may your whole, everybody say whole, spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It might happen. No. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We need a word of inevitability. It's going to happen. We are going to be healthy. We are going to be whole. I love how the Message Bible puts it. Put, put up the Message Bible version. This is the uh, Eugene Peterson translation. He says, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. 
put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit. I love that language. And keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, I expect to win. I expect to win. Not it might happen. It will happen. Not because of me. Not because of you, but because God. Whole church. Go to the next slide and, and we're almost done. Mission statement is encountering the whole Christ to build a whole community so that we can serve our whole city. Very simple. Doesn't rhyme. Just whole. Whole Christ, whole community, whole city. That's what, it's the same thing as commission. It's not a transition away from that. It's a continuation deeper into it. Can't accomplish the commission if we're not competent, if we're not committed. All right, go to the next slide. What does this look like? Spirit, internal. We always go inside out, not outside in. Right? We don't say, I'm going to get my family together and then my soul. No, <laughs> inside out. This animates all that. Body. We got to be healthy, church. You hear me? We got to be healthy, church. We got to be strong. We got to be ready. Because God is going to require more of us. That means our bodies got to be disciplined. Not bodybuilders. <laughs> None of that. No crossfitters. No Michael Archies. Okay, we're not going to have that. I'm just saying, I want my body to be ready for what God calls me to. Emotions. We need to get emotionally healthy. Relationships, family, vocation, finances. We're going to be a whole church financially. We're going to be a whole church financially. We're going to be a whole church financially. But I don't know if we can. I expect it. The God who calls us is faithful. He'll do it. And we will participate with him to make sure it gets done. Finally, witness. We'll be a whole witness. Our public and our private life will match. We won't be one way in here and another way out there. Won't be praising him in here, unrecognizable out there. Won't be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus on Sunday and Wednesday. And anybody else's name the other days. We're not going to do that. We're going to be whole. So what does this mean? Is it some grand elaborate plan? Are we going to do something? I had this handout. I was going to pass it out to you guys. Write down your whole goals for 2020. And the reality is a lot of us, we don't have the goals yet because we need to come together corporately and we need to participate in fasting and prayer. Go to the next slide. So we're going to do 21 days of fasting and prayer. January 5th to January 26th. 21 days. No food, no what? No. <laughs> I don't need y'all in here passing out while you're praising them, you know. Don't do that. But let's do a Daniel fast. We can do a Daniel fast for 21 days, I think. We can do it. If you, if you have health restrictions, don't do it. Okay? Don't push yourself. Don't be like, God told me, and then you end up in the ER. That's not what I want. We don't want to see you there, okay? Be with me. <laughs> 
I say gravesite. Lord, help. <laughs> you wild for that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But fast and pray. We're going to have some resources available for you. You need to go like the NDCC Pensacola Facebook page. We're going to have resources available for you to guide you through the fast. If you come on Wednesday night, actually, we won't have Wednesday night service. So there will also be um, resources in the group meet as well. So see Chris Hendricks, Deacon Chris Hendricks, if you can wave your hand. Um, Deacon Chris Hendricks can get you in our group meet group chat. And then there's also the NDCC Pensacola Facebook page. And then there's the Instagram page as well. NDCC Pensacola, the Instagram page is going live this week as well. So we will have some materials available for you. And also, of course, next week at church to guide you through the fast, to guide you through the spiritual part and the physical part. And then we'll go from there. We have some plans that we're going to implement. But the reality is the first thing we need to do is we need to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. We need to be holy and whole. From youngest to oldest. I'm going to challenge our young people. I'm going to challenge our young adults. Don't make excuses why you can't do it. You can do it. You have the capability. You have the power to fast and pray. It'll transform your life. Everybody say whole church. church. Say it again. Say whole church. church. Will you stand with me? On your feet? Will you stand with me on your feet? Somebody say it again. Say whole church. church. One more time. Whole church. church. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to reflect on what God has told you this year. And reflect on where God is taking you next year. God is taking you to a place of power. God is taking you to a place of abundance. God is taking you to a place of legacy, of new territory, of victory. But you have to expect it, church. You have to have the belief that it is possible. Don't talk yourself out of what God has for you. Don't allow anyone to distract you, not even yourself. The biggest person we need to mute is not another person. It ain't even the devil. It's our own mind. We will not allow it to hold us back. We will win in 2020. I said we will win in 2020, church. We will win in 2020, church. We are going to win in 2020, church. The God who called us is faithful, and he will do it. Father, right now, will your Holy Spirit fall in this place from the youngest to the oldest and give fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh power, fresh anointing, fresh belief, fresh confidence that whatever you have called us to do, we can do it. No more doubting ourselves. No more acting as though we're not worthy. No more fixating on the mistakes of our past. It's over. You done already thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. You done already forgiven us. We repented a thousand times. When are we going to get up and take what you have called us to take? Your purpose has animated us. Your will drives us. Your spirit embodies us. And no demon from the pit of hell itself can stop us. 
There is no person. There is no naysayer. There is no demon. There is no anyone that can stand against the purpose of God. If God is for this church. I said if God is for this church. If God is for this church. Who can be against it? Who can be against it? We will win in 2020, God. We expect it. We believe it. We consider it done. Now give us the strength to do it. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, why don't you lift up your hands? Lift up a shout of praise to God right now. Come on, lift up a shout. Lift up a shout of praise. Hold up, hold up, wait. Wait. From familiarity to new territory. Uh, it's not going to make it in 2020. Roller coaster worship, not going to make it. Some of us need to tap into a level of praise and worship we didn't think was possible because the, the chains you're going to have to break, the yokes you're going to have to destroy in the spirit are only capable if you step up your praise, if you step up your worship, if you get undignified, if you say, God, it ain't about how I look. It ain't about what comes out of my mouth or my nose or if somebody thinks I'm crazy. I'm going to praise God like it's already done because I expect to win. If you believe it, give God a real shout of praise. One, two, three. Give him a shout. Oh, come on. Don't stop. You got to keep it going. You got to praise him like you crazy. You got to praise him like you don't even know what's going on. You better praise God. Oh, come on. Don't stop. Don't stop when someone steps off the stage. God is still here. The Holy Spirit is still present. You still gonna win. <laughs>